Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Hello, hello. Welcome everyone to today's show. Hope everybody out there is having a great day. Hope you all have had a great week. I am having a good one myself, despite it being insanely hot here in Arizona. I'm surviving, hanging out a lot uh, in the air conditioned and in the pool. So that's always nice. But I want to dive in today because here in Arizona, we are getting ready to head back to school. And something that I do every year, and I've been doing it every year. My son is now going into the eighth grade, um, so I'm no stranger to it. But I present to the school with the religious exemption for my child um, for childhood vaccines. And as we sort of approach every school year, I tend to, it's definitely been on the rise, which I love. I I love that parents are maybe looking at this from a different perspective and maybe starting to make some different changes for their children. And it does make me feel good that I have friends and even people on social media that will reach out and just say, hey, what do you put for your exemption? How does that work for you? What does that look like? And I'm happy to share. I think it's encouraging when you sort of know that you aren't alone, when there's somebody else that maybe has done something before and you want kind of the tips and tricks or the little pieces of advice. So I'm happy to share those. So today I just wanted to sort of get into that a little bit, look at exemptions, um, encourage parents to sort of do their research about what their state offers, things of that nature. And then I want to dive really deep into the sort of childhood vaccine schedule in general. And one thing that I always sort of talk to parents about is how much research are we actually doing independently and how much sort of kind of blind trust are we putting into our pediatricians and in our practitioners And are we putting that blind trust in them when really we should be investigating and asking really hard questions just like we would for any other topic, right? Like we, you know, if we even want to correlate this to kids going back to school, like I don't know really anymore if parents just put their kids into the school of the district that they live in. I think that's very common still for kids to go to school in their district. It's typically convenient. Um, There's not a lot of extra work that needs to be done. You just enroll the child. But I would say that parents are, are involved. They look at 
the physical school itself. They look at the surroundings, you know, what's the playground equipment look like? Does it have a fence or, um, you know, secured uh, surroundings? Obviously, I think a lot of parents will go in there, they'll tour the school, they'll maybe meet with the principal. Certainly after school starts, parents are going to meet the teacher, they're looking at the curriculum, things of that nature. So they're investigating all of those things. I've talked about it before on a show. When we get ready to be parents, we typically review and analyze all of the things that we're going to buy for our baby. So we will look at the car seats. We'll look at the cribs. We will look at strollers. We'll look at bassinets. We will sort of dive in on you know, reviews and manufacturers and all of these things about the products and the stuff that we need for babies. I would even say that we probably investigate where we're going to take our families on vacation and shop for best airline flights, shop for your best car rental deal, look at the hotel, what are the accommodations, what are the reviews, what amenities does it have. We are probably spending more time looking at that than we are about our children's childhood vaccine schedule. And that to me is a pretty scary notion. That is just a real demonstration of the power of, I think, groupthink in this idea of something bad is going to happen to your child if they don't have it, ignoring the parents that say, well, something bad happened to my child when they did have it. You know, I have conversations with parents a lot of times that, you know, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, do you even know how this one particular, you know, let, let's say polio, do you even know how polio is transmitted? Parents often don't know. So we're not even really educating ourselves about even the, the disease processes, or as I like to refer to them, self-limiting infections. We're not even really looking at what they are, how severe are they, what are, are there any potential treatments, what are any potential harmful outcomes, should my child have it and recover, is death even an option? So we spend a lot of time in other areas of our life and probably because it feels more comfortable. It feels significantly better to be looking at what hotel you're going to stay at than to be digging in on the CDC website and really having some hard conversations with pediatricians about these vaccines and these sort of health topics. And I totally get that. We live in a society that demands comfort. We want everything easy. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to appear a certain way, whether that be anti-vax or maybe uh, troublesome or a problem patient, right? We don't want any of those stigmas attached to ourselves. And I totally get that. And it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to educate yourself. It's a lot of emotional investment. It's mental investment. And then the road that you sort of take once you've made that decision is not necessarily the easy path. So you you know, you make one choice and it is then followed up with subsequent things that you have to do in order to support that choice. So 
real quickly, I will just sort of go into my suggestions for um, a religious exemption. My son has a religious exemption. Here in the state of Arizona, we are fortunate to still have medical and religious exemptions. If you're not sure about your state, I would go onto your state like government website. I would even um, go so far as to, you can look on the State Board of Education website, call the school. It's pretty well known. I, off the top of my head, and I will eat crow if I'm incorrect, but I think right now Washington does not offer any exemptions. California does not offer any exemptions. New York does not offer any exemptions and maybe Oregon as well. And there might be a few others scattered in there. Those are the ones that I can come off of the top of my head that I think do not offer um, any exemptions. But again, I could be wrong. Those are ones that just sort of come front of mind, especially because I have friends that sort of live in all of those places. But if your state still does offer a um, medical and a religious exemption, your child should be able to get one. Now, for a religious exemption, I look at this just the same way that I looked at my exemption when I was in nursing. It's nobody's business. In fact, that's actually what made me so mad about the COVID religious vaccine or the religious exemption that they set forth for the COVID vaccine was they really pushed people into a corner and it violated a lot of laws. Like you're not allowed as an employer to ask people about their religious affiliation. You're not allowed to ask them, you know, about all of those things. Those are protected uh, under law. And yet they still, you know, went so far as to make people put Bible verses on there or state where their religion said emphatically that they could not have vaccines. I mean, it was just absurd. So for us, what we do for our religious exemption is we put, and this is quote, and you can use the same verbiage if you'd like, it's not trademarked, it's not copywritten, um, but we put due to our sincerely held religious beliefs we abstain from vaccinations, end quote. That's it. I sign it. My ex-husband, my son's father signs it. And we take it in and we deliver it to the principal. Now, um, in addition to that, I am also very, very careful when the paperwork comes home about um, treatments and what they have permission to do um, to my son for my son um, while he is at school. I am very, very careful about that. I will cross things out and initial. I will write amendments on there. Like I don't allow for, you know, the administration of any medications, um, Tylenol, Advil. I mean, he doesn't take any medications, but he's not authorized to have any of those. Um there are also, you know, just the verbiage on there, I want them to have as little power over my child as possible. So I ensure that if they send home a standardized form, I am amending it to my liking. So I would encourage you to do that also. Now, as far as a medical exemption is concerned, I hear parents say all the time, those are a lot harder to get, right? Because you have to have 
a demonstrated event. So an actual adverse reaction. Okay. You had an adverse reaction to this vaccine. You shouldn't have that one anymore. Does it cross over to other ones? Who knows? We're not really sure what we are sure of. And again, I don't have the exact ruling, but you can, you can look it up because it's well known. And in fact, RFK has been talking about it recently in a lot of the sort of town halls and interviews that he's been doing. But it was before the Vaccine Act that was passed in 86 with Reagan, where the Supreme Court ruled that vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. So you should be able to present that to your pediatrician and say, vaccines are ruled by the Supreme Court. They're unavoidably unsafe. I'm abstaining. I need an exemption. They're unsafe. They're not safe for my child. Now, are they going to do it? Maybe not. I don't know, because we know that pediatricians receive financial bonuses for having certain percentages of their uh, patient population vaccinated to a certain percentage. So that's really the impetus for them to stay on top of these types of things, for them to have contracts that parents sign that say, oh, we follow the strict schedule. And if you bring your child here as a patient, you are required to follow this strict schedule. It's really so that the pediatricians can get their reimbursements from the health insurance companies. So that's just my short little two cents about that. I think it is important to have that conversation if you're ready to do an exemption and your state, you know, offers a religious, that is the um, smoothest sort of least path of resistance that you can take. And I'll tell you, I've had absolutely no questions from the schools that my son has attended, he has attended two since he's been in the public school system in elementary school and now in middle school. And we haven't had any issues, which is great. I am happy about that. I've had other issues, um, certainly during COVID, but nothing when it comes to the religious exemption. You know, I've never gotten any questions. I've never needed to expand on that in any way. And from what I hear from other parents, it's similar. So you just write that little note, have mom and dad sign it, and you should be good to go. But definitely investigate in your state. That also goes for the flu shots too. So if you have anything wonky where they're telling you that you have to have a flu shot, nope, same thing, just submit your exemption. And definitely look into what your state offers. Make sure that you know which is going to be the best route for you to go. And now while we're sort of on that topic of, you know, the childhood vaccines and whether or not this is something that you are going to still participate in with your child, or maybe you are a new mom or a new grandparent and you're maybe wanting to have these conversations. Here, I'm going to go through some questions that are very, very baseline, in my opinion. These are questions that as a parent, I would expect 
the administer the healthcare provider of those vaccines to my child to be able to answer. Because remember, informed consent means that you have all of your questions answered. If the pediatrician cannot provide you with answers to your questions, you are not receiving informed consent for that vaccination. Okay. So remember that. Remember every time. If it, it's the same when you go in to have surgery. If the surgeon can't tell you, you know, what type of hip replacement, what brand, what's it made out of, is it going to last me the, the rest of my life? Is it, you know, if, if you've got any questions pertaining to the hardware that's going in for your hip replacement and your surgeon cannot offer or cannot answer those, you have not been provided informed consent. And informed consent is a long standing law. It is an obligation of the healthcare team to provide the patients prior to a medical procedure. And receiving a vaccine is a medical procedure. You have to sign consent for that. Now, I think that we would all be concerned if our orthopedic surgeon couldn't answer specific questions about the hip replacement. That's your field of expertise, right? You do how many of these a year, a week, a month? You've been doing them, you know, day in and day out. Sure, you also maybe do knee replacements and maybe a, a shoulder surgery here, but you should be considered an expert in that field, and these are what you do, and you should be able to answer those questions. If you're sitting back in the pre-op area, or even before that, even you go in for your, your surgery consultation with the surgeon, and they can't answer those questions, you're probably leaving going, uh, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm gonna have this, this, this guy work on me. That's a little weird, right? Why wouldn't he be able to answer those questions? The guy's an expert. The guy's been doing this for 20 years. Why can't he answer these questions? You'd probably seek a second opinion. You'd probably tell your spouse about it. You'd probably sit around at happy hour and be like, yeah, uh, this guy couldn't even answer my questions. I got to go find a new surgeon. Weird. We do not do the same thing when it comes to our child and the vaccine schedule. And I am miffed as to why we don't do that. Absolutely miffed. I, I have some ideas as to why we don't and sort of touching on it a little bit. Like I talked about it, you know, just briefly, we don't want to be labeled. Maybe even as a first time parent, right? I think with kids, number one, it's super hard because you literally have no idea what you're doing. And so you look to the people that have credentials. You look to the people that have been parents before. You're sort of scrambling. You're tired. You're exhausted. You, you know, you're going through all of those new things as a parent. And so you just sort of go along to get along. So I think that's, that's part of the reason. I also think another big part of the reason is because we don't fully understand what it is that we are vaccinating against. You know, we've been 
made to think that these self-limiting infections are these absolute death sentences for our children and that, you know, there's going to be no recovery and, you know, all of this terrible sequelae that could happen if they get this infection and then it's in their bodies. And that also is not true. I'm 40, I'm almost 42 years old. And if I think back, my dad had measles and mumps. He had both. Measles did fine. In fact, he said, you know, everybody had measles when he was little. Measles was no big deal. I think measles for my dad was like the chicken pox when I was little, right? It was no big deal. Yeah, it sucked for a couple of days. I was scratchy and I think I still have a couple of like scars on my forehead where I scratched it, you know, but whatever you sat around in your underwear with oven mitts on your hands and you watched, you know, movies for a couple of days on the hide bed. No big deal. It's really, it's really no big deal. Measles was the same. My dad said mumps was uncomfortable. He had a fever, but I think we've just been so put into a state of fear surrounding these things. And, and granted, I get it because it's our kids. The last thing we want is to ever see our kids suffer or we know that feeling like when they get sick, just when they get a fever or when they you know, get a cold or something and they're uncomfortable and you really can't do anything for them. It's that it's a really, really bad feeling as a parent. You just want them to be happy. You just want them to be healthy. And I think we've been sold this sort of, you know, bag of lies that these vaccines on this schedule at these doses on these, you know, timeline for these self-limiting infections equates to health. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm waving my flags on that guys. That's not, that is not a correlation. Injecting all of those things into your body does not equal health. There's so many other ways for infection prevention and disease prevention. So when we kind of really get down to it, if we want to feel like we are empowered, and here's the other thing, if you as a parent feel like, oh my gosh, I I do want to know, I am sort of curious, but gosh, I don't want to talk, you know, what if all the girlfriends at my mom's group or whatever, you know, ask me if we vaccinated or it somehow comes out this, that, and the other thing. Here's the power that I would arm you with. I would arm you with just this. If you ask these questions that I'm going to get into here in the second half of the show, if you ask these questions to your pediatrician and they cannot answer them, whether that be off the top of their head, which again, my expectation is, is that they should, because when you think about how many kids are in a pediatric practice, how many well visits, how many vaccines they administer probably on a daily basis, that pediatrician should be viewed as a quote unquote expert in that field, right? That makes up a significant portion of what they are seeing children for in that practice on a day-to-day basis. So if they can't rattle them off the top of their head and you request, okay, well, could you send me some evidence-based research? Could you email me these answers? You know, I'll, I'll give you a week, whatever. 
if you do not get answers to any, all, some, none, arm yourself with the power to turn to those other moms and say, you know what? My pediatrician couldn't answer these questions. That makes me really uncomfortable. I'm not going to do something to my child that the doctor cannot answer my questions about. Give them the orthopedic surgeon example. (laughs) Give them the example of, you know, if I went in and got my knee replaced and the doctor couldn't answer these questions, I probably wouldn't go through with it. Not with that doctor anyways. Arm yourself with that power to have that conversation. So on that note, I'm going to step away, take a short little break. When we come back, I'm going to give you the questions that I think everybody should be asking their pediatrician. So grab a pen and paper and come back and join me as we rattle through those. I am Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time in this world class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. America Out Loud News was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back. 
Okay, so top of the show was just chatting kind of about we're getting back in school, how to handle some of those um, exemptions. If you are a parent that either is starting to or has been, or maybe you've moved to a new state and now you can um, submit an exemption to your kid going uh, back to school for vaccines. Gave you the verbiage that I use, very, very simple, and gave you some suggestions on how to sort of navigate that. And in the second half of the show, I want to talk about the questions that I think are really important to ask your pediatrician when you start going through this process of deciding whether or not you're going to vaccinate your child. Now, these questions I think can even be asked before you have your baby. I know that I interviewed quite a few pediatricians before I settled on the one that we chose. And that was for that reason. I wanted to know where they stood on, on childhood vaccines. You know, what, how much grief was I going to have to go through every time I would bring my child in to say, no, I'm not doing that. Like I don't do pressure. I'm not going to be convinced to do it. So I really wanted to feel them out, feel out their style. I called dozens of offices that said, no, we make you sign the contract. So obviously I knew I was not going to participate in that. Um, so if you are, you know, pregnant and you are thinking about making this decision and you're going to interview pediatricians, this is a great time to ask. It's also a great time to ask just when you go for your first visit. It's even good to submit in writing because then you kind of have a paper trail also, which I'm a huge fan of, you know, documentation and getting that, you know, sort of paper trail started so that, you know, just in the event, if you ever want to come back and say, hey, you weren't able to answer this for me, you know, this is why I'm leaving the practice or, you know, whatever the case may be. So grab your pen and paper. We're going to go through these. Um, first question, how does the DNA from cell lines used impact my child? So we all know that there are fetal cell lines that have been used for decades, the same cell lines, to uh, basically grow and are used in the development of vaccines. Well, those, those fetuses were humans and they contain DNA. So now in the production of these vaccines, we have human fetal cell DNA. And we're injecting that into our kiddos. So for me, do we have any research on that? Do we have anything that examines that? Do you know how that DNA from those cell lines could potentially impact my child? I've had conversations with friends about how I'm, I'm very curious because you have to think also how young we start vaccinating, right? We start vaccinating before these babies can even demonstrate that they do anything other than, you know, poop and sleep and cry. That's it. We, we have no baselines for really anything, um, but we're vaccinating, right? So if we're injecting a two-month-old, what's happening in their little bodies with that DNA? I've had conversations. I am very interested in how all of this might play into some of the 
sort of gender stuff that we have going on and the monkeying with hormones. And do we really know? We're not sure. So kind of to piggyback on that topic, if you have a cell line that's from a female and we have a male child, are there any studies that demonstrate you know, any adverse effects or what's the safety of injecting, let's say, fetal cell line DNA from a female into a male and vice versa? So two big, uh, two big questions kind of surrounding DNA there, which I think are important. The third question as far as ingredients are concerned, um, are there any ingredients that can cross the blood-brain barrier? That's important because once something crosses the blood-brain barrier, we know that that's where things can settle in. You can have brain inflammation. You can have, you know, potential heavy metal toxicities. You can have a myriad of neurological things occur. If in fact you get blood brain barrier crossage. So very, very good um, question to ask. And then you can kind of dive in a little bit deeper and look closely at each of the ingredients in each vaccine that your child is receiving. Um, I think that it is important um, to find out when we're talking about ingredients, the adjuvants that are in vaccines, right? So we all know talking about mercury and how mercury was in vaccines. And then it was thimerosal. And now we have aluminum in vaccines as an adjuvant. And it acts like a binder. So I would ask your pediatrician, is there any aluminum in this particular vaccine. So again, you're sort of checking them on their knowledge of individual vaccines, which I think is critically important, right? Like having been a nurse for as long as I was, you know, I would I would hear doctors talk about medications all the time and I always now like looking back, right? So much reflection is on them just talking about what it does, but not necessarily what's in it. And I also remember thinking back to all of these patients that I would take their intake uh, before they would be coming in for surgery. And, you know, you want to do their proper medication reconciliation, making sure that they have all the right medications for when they're going to be in the hospital. And so many patients would tell me, oh, I, I take this medication, you know, medication A, and I cannot take the generic form. I can't take the generic. It gives me a rash or it, it, it does this or it does that. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, like, all right, you, you have to take the trade name or whatever. But it's because there's probably different ingredients that are used, different fillers, maybe a different dye, maybe a different, 
you know, whatever the, the pill is coded in that someone might actually have a reaction to. So diving in on the ingredients is just as important as diving in on its mechanisms of action and, you know, how it's going to work to prevent whatever it's aimed at preventing. And to piggyback on that particular question pertaining to the aluminum, uh, based on my infant's weight, what amount of aluminum is considered safe? And this is always something that I found very interesting is that, you know, everyone says, oh, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. Well, what is a little bit? Is a little bit the same for a seven pound baby as it is for a 10 pound baby? Are those vaccines different through the course of their growth and development? Or is it the same dosage? Is it the, ins- the same amount of ingredients and adjuvant, you know, for your three series of whatever you're getting starting at two months, you know, four months and six months? Is it all the same? That seems weird to me. So much of our medication is weight-based. We look at that. We look at how your body is going to, you know, process medication and filter medications and what we should be giving based off of your weight. So I think that's critical to look at. Maybe you've got a littler baby. How much is safe? given my baby's weight? It's a a very, very, very good question to ask. I think it's also important to look at, you know, we have so many um, issues surrounding like GMOs and everything seems to be headed in that direction where you can't find, you know, corn now, corn, for example. There's no such thing as like regular corn anymore. All the corn is pretty much genetic, genetically modified and it's all covered in, you know, Monsanto chemicals. But it is really important if you're somebody, again, that reads food labels and tries to eat healthy and stays away from all of that. We're talking ingestion versus injection. Are there any genetically altered ingredients in this vaccine? So again, making that physician understand what he is administering, he or she is administering to your child. Critically important. Um, I think also if, This is a great place to start. I always, of course, encourage parents to read the vaccine inserts, which are the foldouts from the actual box from the manufacturers, not just the like eight by 10 or eight and a half by 11 little sheet of paper that you're going to get from your doctor. Um, But I would render a guess that by asking these questions to your pediatrician, they've maybe never been asked them before, or maybe in this way, or in a way that challenges like, Hey, I really need you to do your research. I really need you to dive in. Um, something that's important. Can this, uh, can this particular vaccine cause autoimmunity? I think that's a great question. We have kids with rampant autoimmune issues. 
rampant. So is there something in these vaccines that is, you know, potentially damaging their overall immune system and appearing as though they give a boost just in this one little area? Like, oh, I'm going to trigger an immune response just for measles, but the rest of your immune system is, well, it's maybe going to be in the tank. Don't know. It's a great question to ask. Another great question, and I would put this probably at the top of the list. These are in sort of no particular order of importance or hierarchy, but this one for me is at the top of the list, and that is, is death listed as a potential side effect? And when we say listed, we mean on the vaccine insert. Ask your, ask your pediatrician. <laughs> Have kids died as a result of receiving this vaccine? Because here's my thing. Sure, death, death is a part of life, right? But let's say that you could, if death is listed as an, a side effect from the MMR vaccine, but the likelihood of dying from measles, mumps, or rubella is, you know, lower, what are you going to take? It's a risk versus benefit analysis, ultimately. I don't know if I want to inject something into my child where death is listed. Would I rather just deal with measles? Yeah, probably. Seems better. Plus, then I'm not getting all that other junk that's in there that we don't know what it's going to be doing. And on the, on the note of side effects, um, you know, according to the insert, what are the other known potential side effects? These are really important. I think people would be shocked if they knew what the side effects are that are listed on our routine childhood vaccines, things that our kids have asthma, ear infections. They're, they seem like common childhood ailments, but they're listed as side effects on vaccine inserts. That seems weird to me. So you should ask your pediatrician, <laughs> what else? What else, you know, could happen by my child receiving this? This one probably will, um, I, I hate the word trigger, but it's, you know, such a, such a catchy word these days. I think it holds some value, but this question will for sure trigger your pediatrician, for sure, without a doubt. And it is this, have you been trained to recognize what side effects look like? What do vaccine side effects, you know, look like? What does a vaccine injury look like? Are you trained in that? Have you experienced that? From what I understand, doctors go through, you know, less than a week of training on vaccines and vaccination. It's just this, you know, 
okay, we're going to get through it. And then it makes up, you know, a huge part of a pediatrician's practice, but the actual study and knowledge and ingredients and side effects, you know, all of that, meh, not really, don't really focus on it too much. So I think that's important. I think that's important to ask them. I think it's also important to know if they are familiar with the VAERS system. The vaccine adverse event reporting system. It's a national database where the physician is to go in and report when there is an adverse event to a vaccine. Ask your pediatrician if they're familiar with VAERS, if they've ever had to use it. And if they try to give you some answer like, oh, well, I can't tell you that's a HIPAA violation. No, it's not. No, it's not. They're not disclosing a patient name. They're not disclosing a patient's um, gender or age. They're not giving you any identifiers pertaining to a patient. You're simply asking them if they have had to report to the VAERS system. You could even press them a little harder and say how many times. Because as we know, less than 1% of vaccine adverse events are actually reported. But I still think it's worth knowing from your pediatrician. Here's another thing. I'm a huge believer in people will sort of show you, they'll show you who you are or who they are, right? So in these conversations, you know, if they start getting defensive, if they start getting annoyed that you're asking them these questions, if they brush you off, if they try to gaslight you, if they try to, you know, manipulate you or make you feel like you're out of bounds for asking these questions, be aware of that as well. Because that I think is a huge demonstration of not only somebody's character, also the potential problems that you might run into in the future in wanting to advocate for your child with this person as their caregiver. Your pediatrician should want to answer every question for you. They should want to have parents have peace of mind. They should want to educate parents. They should want to do what is in the best interest of the child. And if they in any way demonstrate that that is challenging for them or annoying for them or not really something they have time to do or that you should just trust them because they went to med school, eh, I'm making a scarf out of red flags. It's just not a good look. And I think your intuition would probably probably tell you that if you found yourself in that situation, right? And then I guess it's how you act on that intuition. 
And I would say, be bold, be bold in trusting that intuition. So I would also ask your pediatrician, again, another triggering question, but I would ask them if they are um, incentivized for complying. I think that transparency is incredibly important, and I think that they should be willing to tell you, and they don't have to say, you know, they don't have to say, oh, yeah, how much they're incentivized or, um, you know, what that monetary payout structure looks like. But I would ask them, if I comply, are you monetarily incentivized? for my compliance of keeping my child up to date. And if they, you know, kind of waffle around their answer for just you, you can say, okay, well, if I comply and a a percentage of your practice complies, are you incentivized? Because they may say no for just the one child, but we all know that it's not just the one child. It is the group. It is the practice. Ask them that. See how fidgety they get. And again, I don't tell, I don't want to come off like I'm trying to back these people into a corner that I think everybody has these nefarious motives. That's not it at all. But what I do think is that parents have to start remembering that we are in charge. These are our children. Our children that get vaccine injured Our pediatrician's not coming over and doing home visits. We're dealing with it. We're we're having to deal with the seizures and the, you know, the the fallout, the 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 autism, the, you know, whatever is a potential, you know, reaction, adverse event. We're dealing with them. It's the same reason why, even though my child goes to a public school, I am not co-parenting with the school district. I'm in charge, no matter what. And we've just, I think, gotten so complacent and we've gotten ourselves into a position where these people think that they have significantly more power than they should. And again, I'm not saying that they are coming from a place of inherent deceit or, you know, ulterior motives. I think that people that go and they want to become doctors and they want to help people and they become pediatricians, I think that you go in, that's the way it is. That's the way it starts. And I think that there is the possibility for it to change along the way. I've personally seen it. And I think that by maybe having these really tough conversations with our healthcare providers, we'll maybe even force them to sort of take a step back and say, oh gosh, maybe I was lacking in my knowledge about this. We all get complacent. We all think, you know, oh, I've done this for so long. I know, I know there, everything there is to know about this until you meet somebody that's been doing a better or different, a new way. 
And I think that's a little bit of what we need. I think we need enough people sort of pushing back and questioning to encourage, maybe heavily encourage these practitioners to know that they do have something to lose, right? Like we are as parents looking at not taking our children to your standard pediatrician anymore, right? We're looking at naturopathic options. We're looking at pediatricians that are vaccine friendly, that don't give you any any grief about whether or not you're going to vaccinate. So I think ultimately they do have something to lose. So maybe we'll encourage them to dig a little bit deeper and truly become an expert in their field, even if that means telling a parent, uh, yeah, I don't have the evidence about that. There is no evidence. Okay. Well, you've at least been told that as a parent. So now you have to decide whether or not you're going to make that choice for your child without there being evidence. That's technically informed consent. You've been told. So I want to end with one final question, and that is just flat out to your pediatrician for every vaccine. Have you read the manufacturer's insert? Plain and simple, flat out. Have you read it? This is going to be very telling, very telling. And it may be the reason why they can't answer some of your other questions. If they don't know the side effects, if they don't know how much aluminum is in there, maybe because they haven't read the insert. And an insert's not like an easy read. I mean, they fold out their big, tiny, tiny writing. It takes you a little while. And to do that for every vaccine they administer and to have recall, like, sure, my expectation is, is that they don't memorize a vaccine insert, but have they read one? Critical questions to ask. Great conversation starters. Great ways to sort of feel the room, body language, tone, sort of those other like, you know, soft skills or those things that people present when maybe they're uncomfortable or they don't have an answer or it makes them feel a sort of way. That's important as well in these conversations. So those are just sort of my little tips headed into the new school year. And if you are a new mama or you're a new grandparent and you're sort of questioning these things and you're not really sure where to start, I would start with some of those just very basic questions. Those will get you off the ground. Those will get you started depending on their answers. You can kind of, you know, formulate more um, off of those and don't feel guilty for shopping for a pediatrician. Don't feel guilty. Interview them. They're working for you. Just like you shop for a car, you shop for a house. They're working for you. Make sure that you feel comfortable and confident that they are always going to give you the best advice, the best care, and that they are doing it with pure intentions. 
So that's all the time we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We almost do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time